God bless you, saints. I'm probably better off with this anyway. I won't. I thump my chest. I won't bust your eardrums. <laughs> um, if you will, turn to uh, the book of Jude. to read the, the first verse there. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ, the brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called, mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Uh, if you will, bow your heads for just a second. And before we pray, I, I, would, like, uh, I would like everybody just to take a moment. Uh, the Lord put this on my heart just before I came out. Let's just take just a moment and lay everything aside. Let's focus our thoughts on him. Let's open our hearts to him. Let's not look at this as a common time. But look, let's look at this as a time where we come before our living God to hear from him, to give him our baggage, and to take his glory back with us as we leave. Father, I come to you tonight with a little bit of weight on my heart, a little heavy in heart for the loss of our brother, uh, brother Jerry, Glenn, and knowing that Sister Diana is laying in the hospital right now with double pneumonia, listening to this service, Lord, counting on the saints to be praying for her and lifting her up. She's going through an extraordinarily hard time, Lord, and we, we ask your mercy for her and your, her healing. We just, the healing's already been done. We just ask for it to take, take root and be manifested now. Lord, I, I stood and prayed with her and, and saw the strength that I, I don't even know if I would have myself, my sister facing the loss of her husband and, and facing a dreadful sickness all at the same time. And Lord, I just ask for you to comfort her, to give her peace. Lord, I thank you for everything you're going to do for her. I thank you for the word you're going to bring tonight. Lord, I ask that you blow a wind through here that just pushes me out of the way so that you can be seen by your children. Lord, we love you with all of our hearts. We want to focus on that as we look into your word tonight, Lord, and we ask you, like our brother prayed for earlier, we ask for revelation. Thank you, Lord, for everything you're going to do. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated, saints. Thank you. As always, it's a, it's a real honor to, to stand here. With each passing day, I come to love the saints more, to respect you more. There's so many people that, that when they say they're going to pray for you, they really are. When they say they're praying for the service, they really are. This is the most important thing to a saint's life, is to come together with the other saints and, and worship and commune with the Spirit of God and, and just come together. It's the most precious time that we have on this side. And I know that 
as we grow in the Lord, we come to appreciate him more and more as we go. And I know for some of the young people, you know, that may be hard to understand sometimes. But the more the Lord reveals himself to you, the more you'll see it, the more you'll love him. I opened with the book of Jude. It's a, it's a rough book, but I want, you to, I want you to take note of what Jude said. In his greeting, he's, he's saying, I, Jude's one of the toughest books there is. It's hard. It's a, it's a, it's a very hard book, very hard-hitting book. It's very short. But you notice how he opens it up. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ, and the brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ and called mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Now here's a man who has a fondness for the saints. He loves the children of God. He loves them enough to correct them. He loves them enough to tell them the truth. One of the hardest things for a preacher to do is come and stand before the people and bring correction. Because the devil's always yelling in your ear that they think it's you that's correcting them. One of the things I love most about being a minister and taking part in this calling is the fact that I know that the devil's a liar. And I know that all, in, all there is in my heart for the saints is love. Now, somebody might misunderstand me at times when I bring correction, but that's okay. Because if they do take heed, then one day they'll come to realize that I do love them. And one day, most of all, they'll look at the ministry and say, the ministry loved us. Those were the, the shepherds that God, the great shepherd, put here to, to correct us, to keep us, to, to round us up, to pull us in, to teach us, to preach to us, to, to feed us. And I know that, you know, that's how I feel about any God-called minister. I thank God for them, and, and it's so, so precious to me to see the supernatural things that take place you'll be praying before a service and the very thing you're praying about the minister will come out and it's like God was listening and speaks right through him and lets him know hey hey little sister you're not unnoticed I, I heard you praying you get into that channel if you pray before you come to the service you get into that channel and and it makes God more supernatural to you I know as a young man I'd be praying about something I'd come to church and the preacher would preach about it and I thought wow and the more it happens, and the more impossible it is, the more you come to see that the supernatural is real. The world wouldn't understand it. They can't. They're blind to it. Let's go on into uh, verse 3. Now here's where, here's where the rubber meets the road. <laughs> Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful, needful for me to write unto you and exhort you urge you, exhort, urge, that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered to the saints. For there are certain men crept in unaware who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God, our God, our Lord Jesus Christ. It's getting rougher as we go. Ship's starting to rock, isn't it? I will therefore put you in remembrance. He's saying, listen to this. Remember this. Don't forget this. Though ye once knew this, 
How that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. And the angels, which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them, in like manner giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Jude, a very loving servant of God, warning the people. Why did he warn them? Why was he so strong in his warning? Why do people get offended at strong preaching? Why do they get offended when a man of God gets up and he pours his heart out and he cries out and he says, look, I see the sin among the people. Let me remind you. Let me remind you that we have an example of what happens. Let me, let me tell you, let me tell you from the bottom of my heart what I fear for you. Let me tell you what I see coming if you don't turn. If you fail to remember what God has already showed us, if you fail to remember the examples that he's laid before us, let me tell you what to expect. This is love. This is not harsh. This is not hard. This is not a man who wants to beat the sheep. This is a man who loves them. I love Jude so much. I love him so much. Some people misunderstand when I say how much I love this book. It's very short, very small, just one chapter book. But it shows such intense love. I mean, some people love hard preaching because they just like to, they, they have an almost, I don't know, just a desire to be beat. And they like to see other people beat. They like to pitchfork the religion. They like to say, oh, 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 boy, he got you today, didn't he? You know, they love that. They love, they, and they, they, you know, they get excited by it, like somebody watching a wrestling match, you know, or something like that. They, you know, they can't wait for the preacher to get the chair out and smack somebody over the head with it. They, did, they, they love it. They live it. But, but that's not what I'm talking about. I love hard preaching because that is love manifested. That's love on display. It, it's, it's, to me, it's magnificent. I, I really appreciate it, but it's so easily misunderstood, especially like by an immature believer, by somebody who doesn't really get it, somebody who doesn't know love when they see it. You know, you, you know some people, they'll see a, a mother correct their child and give them a swat in, in the middle of Walmart, and they'll run up and they'll say, how dare you hit that child? They don't understand love. They don't understand that that's love. They don't understand that correction is love. They don't have the concept. So many of that sit among us today even, even in the message churches, are starting to resent that love. That God sent gift from God. And, and to me, it's, it's bewildering. You know, I, I've watched preachers before. And they'll preach their heart out. And they'll take the word. And they'll take that... that fist of correction and they'll come straight at somebody with it and they'll hit them square between the eyes they'll hit them square between the eyes I don't know if y'all ever had these before but have you ever seen those blow up punching bags and they have sand in the bottom of it and they usually have Bozo the Clown on it or something like that well you know they'll hit somebody with the truth just hit them as hard as they can trying to correct them trying to knock some sense into them trying to get them straightened up trying to rattle them down to their soul where maybe they'll, they'll wake up for just a second and, and take stock of where they are, where they stand with the Lord. For the Lord to bring it through a man to do this, there is a reason. 
There's a reason when God does that. And, and that man will haul off and he'll hit them just as hard as he can with the word, the truth, the love of the gospel being manifested through hard preaching. And he will hit them and they'll go down to the ground and they'll pop right back up. <laughs> and they'll just, you know, they just bounce back up. That big bozo, that big rubber doll, because it doesn't have any effect on them. Their conscience is seared. Their heart is hard. They don't realize. They just go, go ahead, Brother Donnie. Preach it, brother. Preach it, brother. Go ahead and preach it. Go ahead and preach it. Boy, he hit the ball games, didn't he? Boy, he hit the video games. Boy, he hit the TV. Boy, he hit this, didn't he? <laughs> but does it change them? Does it change anything? Is it, a, is it, for, is it for nothing? Is it falling on deaf ears? Does it make a change in a person's life? I don't want to be a bozo punching bag. When the word slays me, I want to lay under the light of the gospel and heal and come back stronger than I was before. When I broke my arm when I was eight years old, the doctor told me, he said, you know, when it healed up, about a week after it healed up, I fell at my grandmother's house, scared me to death. You know, I landed right on my arm. They took me to the emergency room. The doctor kind of laughed. He said, I thought I'd see you. And dad just sort of looked funny. He said, what, and it healed good? And he said, no. He said, it's stronger right there where he broke it than it was before he broke it. Or it's knitted together and healed and there's a buildup right there. He said, it's stronger there. If it's going to break, it's going to break somewhere else. And it was like a sigh of relief that came to me. You know, it was like a sigh of relief because once I healed up, I was stronger than I was before I was hurt to begin with. And when we lay under the light of the word and we heal, we come back stronger, don't we? Come back a little bit more sanctified, don't we? You know, I, recognizing love is, is a hard thing for people to do, especially when they're young in their walk. But it, it, it's, it's real. It, it's real. I will therefore put you in remembrance. He's grabbing them by the lapels and he's shaking them. He's saying, don't you remember what happened? Don't you know we have an example? And this is a hard thing. We have a responsibility to do what Jude said. We have a responsibility to earnestly contend for the faith. Uh, it's, it's, it's what we're born to do. It's our purpose here. You know, when I find somebody that's lost and their life is spiraling out of control and they don't know where to look to, they, they know they need God, but they don't even know how to start. They don't even know. I say, find your purpose. Find your purpose. That is the key to everything. Find your purpose. As a child of God, you are put on this earth for a reason. Now, there's gifts, of course, but I'm talking about just every believer from the preacher to, the, to, to wherever, to the sound booth. It, it doesn't matter. We have a purpose here to worship God, to love God, to spread the gospel, to live this life of Christ before a dark and blind world. It's our, it's our purpose to live let, let Jesus live through us and walk before the world and be a witness and a testimony that leaves them no excuse. And how can we do that if we forget the examples that were put before us? When we live a halfway life, when we, when we take the word, forget it, before we even hit the doors back there. How can we do that? You know, you might say, well, Brother Wes, you know, you sound like you're being just a little legalistic. You know, uh, you, you sound like you're, maybe you're leaning towards legalism. 
Well, one thing I'm not doing is I'm not going to turn grace into lasciviousness. A lot of times people, you know, my parents, when we first came into the message, my parents were like, oh, you know, they're at that church. You all are believing Old Testament stuff. You know, we live under grace now. Well, it's not an Old Testament. It's former Testament. God doesn't change. The revelation progressed. The sacrifice came. Our salvation was given. The gift was given. And we receive it. If you go too far to grace, you turn it into lasciviousness. The wing of that bird, if it's not working, you don't rise. If you, if you go too far into legalism, that wing doesn't work. If they're both right where they need to be and you're centered right in the middle, you take off like a rocket. Like an eagle should. You know, um, with young people, I take this responsibility very, very, very strongly. I, I look at the young people and I, I know that this is what the third, fourth generation since the prophet left the scene. Look at how many of them. How many people, just humor me for a second. Just raise your hand up good and high. Don't do one of these. Okay, raise your hand up good and high if you were born in a message-believing house. Raise your hand up. Look around, everybody. Keep your hands up. Look around. Okay, you were born in a message-believing Okay, now, now, put their hands down. Now, those of you who were in the denominations, raise your hands. And you came to the message. Okay, there's just a few in there. There's just a few. You see, I was in the, you can put your hands down. I was, I was in the, the Baptist church, and the Lord started pressing me so hard that I started to seek God. And, of course, you know my testimony. I'm not going to, a lot of you do. I'm not going to go into that again right now. But I, I'm going to tell you that I'm fully aware of what goes on in the denominations. I'm fully aware of what happens there. I know that denominational spirit. I recognize him. I can see him very clearly. Now, recently... Uh, well, recently I was at a, at a gas station. It might not have been that recently, maybe a couple of years ago. And uh, I stopped at the gas station. The family was in the car. And when I get gas, my, I, I'm just constantly looking at everything. As I pull into the gas station, I'm looking at the parking lot. I'm looking at the bushes near the parking lot. I'm looking at the side of the building. I'm glancing into the glass to see who's in that store. I'm watching every car in that parking lot to see if somebody's in it. If there's somebody walking on the sidewalk in front of the store, I'm sizing them up. I'm watching their body language. I'm going through all of this. I get out to pump my gas. I'm doing this the whole time I'm pumping the gas. Somebody goes up to the counter to buy something, I watch them. I watch their hands. I watch the cashier. A car pulls in, I'm watching the car as it pulls in. I'm looking into the car. I'm looking at the driver. I probably have a certain look on my face. I don't know. I, I tend to have that look accidentally anyway. And I'm prepared. If anybody, for any reason, starts to walk in my direction, I've already got my plan. Because I've got a family to protect. I know where I'm going to be standing at that car. I know if I need to reach for anything. I'm watching them. I'm watching their body language. I'm a real student of that. 
And so this is going on. I'm pumping the gas. I get done pumping the gas. I get in the car, and the kids are laughing, and they're like, what were you doing? I said, what do you mean? They were like, what were you doing? You were looking around like you were trying to find somebody to kill. And I said, <laughs> I said no, no, I wasn't looking for some. I said, I'm just being, you know, sizing everybody up, making sure there wasn't anything dangerous around. Forgive me. I'm sorry. I don't mean to make all this noise with Mike. I was looking around, you know, making sure there was no danger. And they're like, danger? You know, what, you're, you know, and I got the, I picked up that they were thinking I was a little paranoid. Maybe some of you all feel the same way. Well, you've never been standing at a gas pump and watched a stranger walk up to a woman and hit her so hard that it broke her jaw and she was laying in a puddle of blood while he was running off with her pocketbook. Maybe you've never witnessed that. It tends to change the way you look at things. You know? We'd get out at a, at a truck stop on the way to camp and I have rules. I have very strong rules for the young people. They are not to be out of my line of vision for any reason. And when it's my turn to go to the bathroom, they better not be out of Brother Rob or Brother Brad's line of vision. If I can't see you, you're in big trouble. One girl told, asked me one time, she, well, I better not tell you that story. <laughs> I'll tell you this. I'm watching them. I'm watching every move, just like I was at that gas station. I'm watching everybody. One night, we were at a gas station, and I know what to look for. Some of you men do. It's just, it's just in me. From experiences I've had, bad experiences that I've been through, it's just in me to be protective, to watch. It's just in me. I cannot help it. And I'm watching every move. I'm looking up in the mirrors. Most people don't even know we're in the stores. Most people don't bother to look up. They're too busy looking at the aisles and looking at what they want and wandering around shopping. There's mirrors up on a lot of, of these truck stop uh, stores, and they, they, they're up at the top where the, the cashier can look in the mirror, and it'll look down on whoever's there. Well, I'm skirting. I'm, you know, I'm scanning those. I'm watching everything, and I see a man following two of our girls, and he's just looking them up and down, up and down, up and down. I go, okay, time to intercept. I walk down one aisle, I pick up a tire checker, and I walk around the end of the aisle, and I step between him and our girls. And I said, and he's still looking at them. He doesn't even notice me. I said, excuse me. And he looked at me, and I said, I noticed you're following my sisters. I said, is there something I can help you with? And he said, no. And he turned around and walked away. two sisters didn't even notice that it happened. They kept on looking at lollipops and suckers and chewing gum and whatever they were looking at. They didn't even notice it happened because they've never been stalked by a predator. They've never been through a bad experience. Anybody in here who's been through a bad experience wouldn't be that naive. When you wake up and the Lord calls your name. And he shakes you out of the slumber you're in when you're in a denominational church. And it stirs you in your heart and you begin to see the truth. All kinds of things take place. And you understand that you were in bondage and you understand that you were blind and you understand that you were deaf and dumb. You understand that 
you were on your way in a very bad direction. Now, those of you who were raised in the message, I don't mean to make you feel bad, but you have no idea. You have no idea how fortunate you are. And it has lulled a lot of you into a state of sleepiness to where you don't see what's going on around you. You don't understand the price that's been paid to bring the truth to you. To you, it's common. And that's the most dangerous thing that can happen to you in a message church. is for the word of God, the preaching, the truth, the revelation to become common. It's the most dangerous thing that can happen. You're in, you're in very, very, very big danger, and you don't even know it. I was telling the young people not long ago, there's a, there's a question you can ask, and it leads two directions, and that's the question, why? The question, why, leads you one of two places. It leads you into full, just reckless rebellion. It depends on your attitude, or it leads you to revelation. When you start asking questions about this message, when you start poking at God, you better be careful and you better do it with reverence and respect. That was one thing I think that, that really helped me a lot coming into the message. I had a respect for the people. I had a reverence for the people. And it went a long way in helping me to understand. The Lord used that. One thing that, that's really hard to get across to people, do, is it okay for me to just talk? Is that all right? Okay. One of the things that, that's scary right now for me, being fully awake, being fully aware of what's coming against this bride, seeing it coming from a long ways off because I'm standing and looking and I'm watching. I see the wolf circling in the woods. I see it. I see it within just mere inches of some saints sometimes. And it, it raises the alarm in my heart. It raises the alarm. And I've got to somehow get a message across to them. I've got to get the word to them that might wake them up. You see, if I can get the young people on the scent of the wolf, on the, on the scent of the devil, if I can get them to pick up that scent, then when that scent comes around, before they even see him, they'll start to gather close together. You know? And it won't just be a shepherd or, you know, an assistant shepherd like me that's trying to come to their aid. But when that wolf comes out into the open where he can be seen plainly, they'll recognize him. They'll recognize the danger. And I won't be the only one coming to fight it. But they'll all stand up and have their own little Uzis and come at it too. It'll be a whole body move to fight the devil. And that, that's something a wolf can't stand. When they gather in tight... And they don't give, and the line don't break. But see, what we have today, we have so much compromise. Don't we, young people? So, so much compromise. So much playing of the part. Most young, most young people that are raised in the message, they know how to act like a message kid. They know how to dress. They know how to act. They know the right thing to say. They know when to smile, when to frown, when to cry. They learn. They learn to play the part. They do. They learn to play the part. And what they don't understand is that is a very dangerous place to be in because that denominational spirit 
can wrap its arms around you and drown, drown you out, just drown you. It can kill you, it can take you out. Because you don't recognize it, you don't know what it is. You're not witnessing it, but it's happening to you. You know, it, it's so dangerous. And I'm in such a state of alarm. All the, all the, you know, they got this phrase that people that are woke, you know, it's, it's such a, we have our version of that. We're woke up, you know, to what the devil's doing. We're not fooled by a bunch of, a bunch of garbage. We, we see it. We know what's happening. And when we see it happening to our brothers and sisters, to our young people, you know, you know, Brother Jerry, we didn't lose him. We're separating from him for a little while, but we didn't lose him. But you know what? He earnestly contended for the faith. He sure did. He'd pull your teeth out if you were preaching. He did. He'd pull your teeth out. He'd come here to praise the Lord. He came here to do that. He earnestly contended for the faith. When you talk to him, the subject always went to the word. If you saw him at Walmart, subject went to the word. You went out to eat lunch with him, subject went right to the word. Oh, he'd talk about little things in your life and stuff. Everybody has conversations. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with any of it. But he always came to the word. It was all about the word. That was the main focus of his life. He earnestly contended. Earnestly, with sincere and intense conviction. Seriously. Contend. Dictionary defines contend as to strive in, in contest or rivalry, rivalry. To struggle against difficulties or opposition. To argue like in a debate. Now, I warn the young people about debate. You don't want to throw your pearls before swine. And there's a little thing I always tell them. I say, you know, sometimes when you, you wrestle with an atheist, after you've wrestled with them long enough, you realize, realize they're like a pig in mud. They kind of start liking it. So you have to be careful. You don't want to just feed their desire to argue. So you have to live a life. Well, if you don't have a life, how are you going to argue? How are you going to debate? How are you going to, you know, give them words of wisdom that will make them think a little bit? How are you going to do that? And, and so, here's the tough one. Let's go back towards Jude for just a little bit. How are you going to do that if you're a compromising liar who fakes it and comes to church and you're a good little boy or a good little girl and then you go out in the world and you make friends and you realize your friends are going to hell and then all of a sudden you get convicted and you're like, I need to tell them the truth. But you're a compromiser. You're not living it. You don't have a relationship with God. You go to a message church. The Lord showed me, you know, certain things that I need to, to bring to the young people. One of the things he said was just feed them. Feed them, feed them, feed them. Give them the word, give them the word. Keep stuffing the word in them and don't stop. Brother Donnie told me, you know, that young people, they'll make their fun. You don't have to worry about that. They'll figure out a way to have fun. But you... You know, you just keep putting the word in. I agree with that. I agree with that. And I've seen the benefit of it. Some of my best friends that I've ever had in my entire life are young people at this church who've received the Holy Ghost, who are fighting t 
tooth and nail every day. They're fighting battles that we never had to fight. And here they are, here they are tonight, on a Wednesday night, gathered in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, doing their best to, to get closer to him, to seek revelation. Did you hear Brother Jared's prayer? <laughs> he asked for revelation. You think God's going to turn a deaf ear to that? A young man in this age asking for revelation? He loves us. He loves us, but not like the love that they, they portray on 88.3. He loves us with a love that's corrective and strong and is nourishing. He feeds us. He whips us. He does whatever it, that it takes to get us where we need to be. The mercy of God to me is him giving me what I need, regardless of whether it hurts or not. It's him giving me what I need. Not what I want. I'm glad he's not giving me what I want a lot of times. I really am. You see, compromise is, is one of the most dangerous things right now. I mean, you take, for instance, somebody, somebody that wants to, is this too slow? Are we good? All right. I'd never make it through this if I was yelling, I promise. I'm, I'm trying, trying to make it through. If you live next door to a prison, the only house you could afford was right next to the fence. Okay? That's the only house you could afford, so you bought it. You and your family were living there. And you look outside one day, and there's a bunch of noise, and you look outside, and there's some workmen there. And they're taking the 20-foot fence with barbed wire, taking the bob wire off and they're lowering it down about four feet would that make you happy the fence is still there right they're just lowering it down a little bit they're just making it a little bit shorter just taking a little bit off what would happen your fear level is going to go up you're not going to be as safe you go out a couple of days later they've brought it down to six feet. The prisoners are over there in the yard looking at you with a grin on their face. Are you happy? They might as well take it down, right? That's how compromise is. That's exactly how it works. That's how compromise works, and I'll tell you what I mean. If you trim it, you might as well shave it off. If you're going to cut it down a little bit, might as well, it's not going to do any good. It was given to you as protection against the powers, sisters. Right? It's just like that prison wall. God gave you his glory to put on your head, to protect you from the powers. You're going to compromise that? And you say, they say, what... what what, what do you believe at your church? I notice everybody has long hair and wears dresses. Well, we don't believe in cutting hair. You've never cut your hair? Well, ouch. Ouch. You know it's wrong. You know God gave you your hair for a protection. Against the powers. You know what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. You know. You've been told all your life. But fear and compromise hold hands. They're lovers. Right. 
Well, I might have split ends. I might need to cut off my split ends. Please, come on. Cut the fence down a couple of feet. See what gets in. You'll be laying with your face in your tear-filled hands, wondering what happened to your family, wondering what happened to your life, because you opened the gate and the prisoners are having their way. This is not the time to compromise. Brothers, what about you? How much can you cut off your pants? How long, you know, let's, let's toy with the idea. Let's toy with the idea. We, God started the seven church ages out with a prophet. He ended the seven church ages with a prophet. You going to spit in the face of that gift? I mean, you got to decide if you believe this or not. It's not for everybody. You better make a decision. It's time. And the time is short. I promise you it's short. It's time to make a decision. Do you want me to yell it? Or can you take it right now, this way? I'm screaming from my soul, I promise you. How much can you cut off? You don't want me to pull my britches leg up. You don't want me to. How much, do you want, how much can you cut off? How long can they be? That's the questions you need to be asking. Is that the questions you need to be asking? You know what? I'm talking in general. I'm not talking to this congregation specifically. Okay, I don't, that's, that, that's not what I'm doing. I'm just saying believers in general. You know where that compromise usually starts? Home. It starts at home. Are you afraid? Are you afraid? Are you afraid to correct your son? Because you might lose him. You might drive him away. Well, I, you know, I don't want to be too tough because I don't want to drive him away. I don't want to drive him away from church and him, you know, go out and just be a, a lost soul out there in the dark world, you know, because I was too hard on him. Compromise and fear hold hands. They're lovers. Remember that. Whenever a fear comes upon you and you're starting to compromise because of that fear, just remember. That fear is attached at the hip to compromise and that will lead you away from God's will. The sons of God and daughters are led by the Spirit of God. Now, I threw in and daughters. Okay? I don't do that loosely. I'm not adding to the word. Eve came out of Adam. We'll be one in heaven. So I'm not just saying that because that's something preachers say. Okay? A true daughter of God is led by the Spirit of God. So is her other half. And she'll live for that other half even before they're married. She'll live like she's already attached to him before they're even married. The, the reason evil's ruling this world right now is because of compromise on morality. They don't care that you know why they don't care about morals, why they don't care what the Bible says. Do you know why they don't care? Do you know why they don't care about anything that seems to be upright and just? It's because they're just trying to get all they can get for themselves because they have no hope 
of tomorrow. They have no hope. I not only have hope, I have assurance. I have assurance. I know where I'm going. I know who I belong to. I know what my future holds. I know I'm already in eternity. My flesh is stuck here right now, but I'm already there. The victory has already been bought, paid for, locked down. I'm on my way. I'm just waiting for the coming of the Lord. And right now, the world don't have to wait. They see him already. They see him right there in Brother Jim. We really have to think about where we're at right now. We have to consider what time is it? Where are we at? What's going on? Is this a time to compromise? You sisters, you need to stop being afraid. You need to stop being afraid. You don't have to look like the world. You really don't have to look like the world to get a husband. And you say, well, Brother Wes, I don't even want a husband right now. That's fine. Good. Hang on to that for a little while. And save your dad a few gray hairs. But you don't. I'll tell you what, sons of God, sons of God are sickened by the way the women are in this world today. We can't stand it. It makes us sick. We hate it. You know, where I work, sometimes there's women, you know, they're, they're covered in tattoos, their hair's chopped off, they got, you know, they're painted up, um, and they got these attitudes, they cuss like sailors, you know, and I'm like, my goodness, men didn't even act like that years ago. They're worse than a lot of the men. And we look at, we don't want that. We don't want you to look like them. We don't think they're beautiful. Why in the world would we, why? I mean, it, just, it doesn't make sense why you would let the devil lie to you like that. I mean, I remember when I came here to get baptized, the first time I sat right over about where Sister Jill is, I remember the sisters coming in quietly, soberly, coming in, their hair back behind them, just down, you know, way down their back. And them coming in, they'll sit down and start praying. They weren't cackling like a bunch of hens. They come floating in here like a silent eagle floating down into its nest. Poof, didn't hear a thing. Sat right down, started praying, praying for the service and everything. I was blown away. At the Baptist church, this man's wife or that man's wife run clean across the church, give me a big hug. You know, and I'm, that's just what they do. And talking, hollering across the church, hey, where are we going after, after church? Well, it depends on how long he preaches. If we go down here, it'll be busy. And if, you know, right in the, in the sanctuary before the service started, the song leader would have to come out and say, all right, everybody, quiet down. Oh, hey, hey. It sometimes takes five minutes to get everybody to quit talking and sit down. He didn't have a bit more reverence than nothing in the world. The people of this age stand up to God more than they stand up to the devil. It's sad. I, wanna, I, I just would like to know why I should worship a God that would let little children starve to death. Why don't you shut up? Satan's, Satan's the one that, that, that brought sin into the world. He's the one that did it. That's where the blame lays. He's the one who, who entered into the human race, you know, through the serpent got into our flesh and, 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 and gets people to be in the state to where that they treat each other like garbage. 
to where they can kill a baby without even feeling remorse about it. I mean, that's what, that's what Satan, Satan did that. I'm not going to, I won't stand anymore and listen to that garbage. I just tell them straight out. I say, if that's the best you got, go on. You know, go on. I wouldn't worship God either if that's how I felt about him. You know? Now, recently I realized that, uh, I realized that the young people didn't really understand much about the seven seals. And so we went into talking about it. And uh, one thing that came to my attention, it really struck me, that never really struck me before. Uh, if, if you want to, uh, you can turn to uh, Revelation chapter 6. I want to read a few verses here. And now if, uh, if you think, if, you, if the devil's fooled you into thinking you can't understand the mysteries of the Bible and it's just not for you and your eyes glaze over every time the preacher gets a little bit deep, just hang on for a second, okay? Just hang on. Bear with me. Revelation 6, verse 1. And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder. One of the four beasts saying, come and see. And I saw... And behold, a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him. And he went forth conquering and to conquer. Verse 3. And when he had opened the second seal, I heard a second beast say, Come and see. And there went out another horse. It didn't say another rider. It said another horse. That was red. And power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth and that they should kill one another. And there was given unto him a great sword. Verse 5. And when he had opened the third seal, I heard the third beast say, Come and see, and behold, and lo, a black horse. And he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand. Didn't say anybody gave it to him. He had this all along. And I heard the voice in the midst of the four beasts say, a measure of wheat for a penny and three measures of barley for a penny. And see, pay attention now, and see thou hurt not the oil and the wine. Now, we know we've been taught there was a time where anybody could have read this. I, I mean, I, I was raised in the Christian church and in the Baptist church. We would read this stuff and we didn't know what it meant. We did not have a clue. I read, I don't know how many books, Late Great Planet Earth, this and that and the other. I've heard of everything you can imagine. I don't know if you all know it, but there's a, there's a computer in Mississippi that is so big, it's a skyscraper. And they use the Mississippi River flowing through it to cool it because it computes so much and it's a super brain and it's the beast and it's going to take over America. That's one of the things I heard when I was a kid and I was like, oh my gosh, you know, what are we going to do? They're going to turn us into robots and this and that. You know, I, I didn't know what to think. I didn't know what to think. I, and other theories that would blow your mind in movies, they made movies about this stuff where they're chasing people down and forcing them to put a tattoo on their forehead and stuff like that. And you didn't know what any of this was. Somebody would read this in a very cryptic voice, you know, and I saw when the lamb opened one of the seals. And you're sitting there going, oh, you know, you don't even know what you're afraid of. 
You're thinking, oh, what's happening here? What's this mean? Well, Dr. So-and-so said it means this. Well, that's pretty good. And Dr. So-and-so, this other doctor said this, though. Oh, well, maybe it's that way. And you're just going, it's like a tennis match. Maybe it's this way. Maybe it's that way. Maybe it's this way. You're like, what, what do I believe? I heard the voice of a prophet, and all of a sudden it went, boom. Hallelujah, that's it. That's it. That, that's right. That's exactly right. Now, see, some of the young people might be sitting there right now going, what's right? What's that mean? How do you know? What, what Brother Adam say about it? Some of you know. You've got a revelation. Now, here's the thing that's scary, though, and this is, this is what I want to draw the attention to tonight. This is where we're failing. And I saw and behold a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow. Brother Branham said he had a bow, but he didn't have any arrows. See, the devil's a bluff. He is a bluff. He has nothing. He has nothing at all, right? Wrong. <laughs> Wrong. It progresses. And a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. So here, here's the Antichrist riding out. And he is a doctrine. And he starts whispering into the ears of the people. And he starts affecting the congregation, so to speak. Okay? And so some of them get together and this grows in intensity. He goes out conquering and to conquer. So he's riding forth. He's whispering in this person's ear, that person's ear. He finds somebody who's really smart, but they don't have the Holy Ghost. Sort of like a black Paul, you know. The dark Paul. The one, you know, the evil Paul. They, you know, somebody who's, who's like Paul, but they're not like Paul. They don't have the Holy Ghost. You get a guy like that, he can twist up the people's minds. And he gets in there and he starts these doctrines of three gods. Changes the, wants to change the baptism. Well, at first, he's a crank. Everybody's going, you're nuts. There's only one God. What's the matter with you? Well, it starts getting around. And those that are going, you're nuts. What's the matter with you? They're not telling their kids there's one God. They're not explaining it to their children. They're too busy making money. They're too busy fixing the roof on the house. They're too busy for whatever. You put. You fill in the blanks. They're too busy. They're not going to tell their kids. They just assume their kids know. They go to church with me. They know. How could they not know? Brother Donnie's our pastor. How could they not know? When did you send them down and talk to them? When did you explain it to them? Well, I can't explain it. I can't. Well, that's fine. That's fine. Read it with them. See if they can tell you. I'm going to be in trouble, and I'm sorry if I'm pushing the limits. A crown was given unto him. Who gave him the crown? Who was it? It grew. The ones that didn't have the Holy Ghost, who didn't have a revelation, who didn't know no better, they were like, well, it makes sense there's three gods, three persons, three people. Yeah, three persons. That's what it is. Yeah, that makes sense. He goes around. He starts gaining a little power. All of a sudden, it becomes a little of a contention. So they say, well, i tell you what. Let's put together a committee. We're too lazy to do it. We don't care enough to do it. So let's put some men together and let them decide it for us. You see, the sons of God are led by the Spirit of God. 
I don't say, Brother Jim, go out and be led by the Spirit of God and come back and tell me what you find out. That's not how it works. Not if I'm a son of God, it doesn't. So they have their first little Baptist committee called the Council of Nicaea. And they give the devil a crown. Then we go on into the second seal. And when he had opened the second seal, I heard the second beast say, come and see. And there went out another horse that was red. And power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth. And that they should kill one another. And there was given unto him a great sword. Now when they gave the devil this power at Nicaea, and they said, we're going to organize. We're going to set up a little system here where we all believe the same thing. They gave him that power, and then he grew. So they gave him a little more power. Now he's got the power to make the rules. So he starts working through a pope. Starts making rules. Starts branding people. Either they belong to the church and they're a Christian, or they're a heretic. So more power was given to him by the people. We end up in the dark ages, they give him the word. By the time of the dark ages, he's been given the word, and he holds it back and won't let the people have it anymore. And we enter into the darkest phase of, a, of, of world history, where there was a complete void almost of the word. And the people were dying in ignorance and darkness, and they didn't even know what to believe. All they could believe is what the Catholic Church told them to believe. And he was holding his scales and he was saying, if you want to go to heaven, you've got to pay me some money for these indulgences. You've got to pay the priest to pay, pray for you because you can't pray for yourself. You see, laziness started it. Laziness, it started it. We crowned him, we gave him a sword. And we gave him complete control when we let political power and a religious spirit mixed together. It started growing in intensity. Do your children know this? Do they know this? Have we forgotten it? When it walks in and sits right next to us on the pew, do we recognize it? Do we see it creeping in among us? Have we made the ministry our popes? Have we handed over the leading of the Holy Ghost to the preachers and laid it down ourselves? Have we given up our prayer time? Have we given up our study time? Have we given up our desire for God? I'm asking you a question. I'm asking you a question that, that needs to be asked. We are not spectators. We're not. This is the end time. We are the main event. Each one of you, each individual in here, you're part of it. You're part of the main event. The conclusion of all things. And, and, and this sleepy age is knocking us out. It's, it's hurting us. It, it's, it's, it's killing us. The, you know, the seals, we go, it's like we go through phases. We come in, we see serpent seed, we see Jezebel religion, we see why we're not a denomination. We go into the seals, 
we get some revelation, we start to see some things, and, and, and we get it all, and we kind of get it locked down, and then we go into cruise control. Okay, I'm on the rocket. Hit the cruise control button. I'm going to nod off now. I'm just waiting for heaven. Have you forgotten you've got to have a purpose? Have you got to, forgotten that you have to have the leading of the Holy Ghost? Have you forgotten that you've got to be watching and praying? Have you forgotten that you've got to care for other people and love them? Which includes correction. Have we forgotten this? Are you mad at me? You know, bullies, they get their power from your fear. They get all their power from your fear. David walked out onto a field unafraid because he knew. He, wasn't, he didn't just know. He was certain. Absolutely certain without a shadow of a doubt that his God was greater than this mocker. And when he walked out on that field, Goliath didn't know what happened because he was so busy boasting and bluffing and shooting his mouth off, he didn't realize that little boy had took his power. He had took it. He completely stole it back. He took it back. He said, that's not yours. That boast ain't yours. That's my boast. My God's bigger than you. I'm not afraid. And I'll prove it. Because faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. You've got to put this into action in your life. You know, you, you young people, you've got to quit pussyfooting around and playing with God. God is sovereign. God is great. God is holy. He is a holy burning fire. He is a fire that is never quenched. He's nothing to be toyed with. He's nothing to be questioned. Unless your question is a question seeking revelation, seeking a closer walk with him. Those he loves. Though that very fire that, you, that, that, he, that he is will come into you and change you forever. I can tell right away. I can tell just as soon as they come to me. I can tell. And I have a lot of grace because I was worse than any of them. I've got a lot of grace. Because I can tell though when they come up what they ask me, how they ask me, what it's about. I can tell if they're toying with God, poking at God, not being respectful. I can tell. And I know one of two things is going to happen. They're either going to be cut off, their conscience is going to be seared, and they're going to be cut off, and they're going to be gone. Or they're going to go through a rough patch. God's going to wear them out, and they're going to come to this altar. They're going to get right and repent, and they're going to get filled with the Holy Ghost. That's the two things. One of the two is going to happen. The worst one is when they just go, well, I'll go back into neutral and just be a good little message girl or a good little message boy and I'll put on a good show. That's when it's dangerous. That's when it's really dangerous. Now, I want to, I want to go back here again to Jude for just a second. Um,
I'm sorry, not Jude. I want to go back to Revelation for just a second. Um, the third seal, verse 5. And when he had opened the third seal, I heard the third beast say, Come and see. And I beheld, and lo, a black horse, representing the dark ages. And he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts say, A measure of wheat for a penny, and three measures of barley for a penny. And see thou hurt not the oil and the wine. See thou hurt not the oil and the wine. You see, this is where an atheist has problems. This is where somebody who is contentious and rebellious, they have problems. Because they don't have the oil. And they certainly don't have the wine. And you can look at them and you can say, how am I supposed to prove God to you? You can look at this person and you go, I, I can't prove God to you. I know he's real. Because he's burning inside of me. He's churning. I mean, the rocket fuel has been ignited. I know he's real. I know I used to be this way and now I'm this way. I know he's real. And I know he has showed me great things. He's given me revelation. And see, the thing that the devil has trouble with is when you've got revelation, he can't do nothing with you. Once you've seen it, you can't unsee it. Once God has revealed himself to you, you can't unsee him anymore. Whether you're obedient or not, that takes time for him to whip you in shape. But once you've seen him, you've seen him. And the devil can't take it away. And that's something an atheist or a questioner or somebody you know who, who just is not led by the Spirit of God, they just don't get it. And they actually feel sorry for you and they think you're the dumb one. That's what's so sad. And they're, and they're all around. They're even in this church. You know, if we don't take a hold and hold on and wake up, it's going to get bad. We have to draw together. We have to gather together, being led of the Spirit of God, not gather together with the things of the world. We have to gather together with the believers, the saints. We have to come together as one body. We have to stand strong together. And when that wolf comes out of the woods, it shouldn't be Brother Donnie up here by himself with a rifle. Every one of you sheep should be standing up with your Uzi in your hand ready to go. You know, your sword. You should have it ready. You know, when you first come in, you get corrected. And, and, and the preachers, they preach and they tell you the truth. You should adopt that truth. You should take it in. And you should quit compromising on it. You got at some point you got to you just got to stop compromising. You got to stop playing, or one of two things is going to happen. God's either going to get serious with you, or the devil is. Now, here's one thing that the young people saw the last meeting when we were talking about the third seal, and the fact that they saw it gave me such an encouragement. It helped me so much because when we were talking about this oil and wine. And see thou not hurt, or see thou hurt not the oil and the wine. This was like when God was talking to Job, or talking to Satan about Job. And he said, you do what you want to him, but don't you kill him. Don't you take his life. He told the devil, you can't touch his life. 
You don't have my permission. You're not able. His life belongs to me and you're not taking it. Satan had to stop there. He could not take his life. He could take his children's life. He could take his livestock. He could do all kinds of things. Take his money. Took, took all this stuff from him. But he could not take Job's life because God said no. Now here's God saying, And see thou hurt not the oil and the wine. The devil can't touch my Holy Ghost. The devil can't take that away from me. He can't do nothing to my Holy Ghost. He, can't, he cannot stop my Holy Ghost. He cannot take my revelation away. The wine, the revelation. He cannot take the stimulation of revelation away. You know what joy that brings to me? He can't take it away. There's nothing he can do. Once I've seen God, he can't make me unsee him. There's nothing the devil do. He is nothing but a bluff. I am not going to crown the devil. I am not going to give him a crown. I am not going to hand him the word and let him do with it what he wants. I'm going to hold it myself. I'm keeping my sword and I'm going to give my crown to the Lord Jesus. He's not taking my crown and I'm not giving it to him. Now that's where we need to be. This isn't a pep talk. This is not a pep talk. You better get serious. We're going to be facing some things. We are going to be facing some of the darkest peril we have ever faced. We're, going, we're already facing things that make here I stand look like, like just a little, you know, schoolyard scrap. The devil's coming. He's coming for your family. You better hunker down. You better be a, you better be a spiritual prepper. You better get your things in order. You better be ready. You better be ready spiritually. We're going for the fight of our lives. He's coming. I'm telling you, I'm looking out there. The other ministers are looking out there. We see him coming. We see him coming. I'm trying to warn you because I love you. I was in that denominational thing. I saw it. I saw how the devil would suck the life out of people. How they joined a club and let other men be responsible for the spiritual part. Now they were proud of how I don't know nothing. I don't know nothing about the Bible. I just believe it. Well, bless your heart. That's your own fault. You're an idiot. You have to, all you have to do is ask God for wisdom. He'll give it to you. You say, well, Brother Wes, I'm, a, I'm a kind of, you know, a lot of this stuff I just don't understand. What do you think the ministry's for? Call us. Write us. Come and tell us. You don't understand something you want to understand? God's got an answer. I promise you. The only thing between me working with these young people and the minister who ministers to a whole congregation is I don't assume they know it. I tell them in a way where I would understand it when I was their age. That's what I try to do. That's what I seek God's instruction on, his wisdom on. And that's, that's the way to handle it. You see, when we have the oil and the wine, we're untouchable. You ever heard of Elliot Ness? He was a lawman back in the Prohibition days. He went after the gangsters. He had a group of men he called the untouchables. They were men who had been hurt by organized crime, who were dedicated lawmen, who loved the law and stood for it and would not compromise. They would not take a bribe. And no matter what the threat was to them, their family, or anything else, they did not care. They would stand in the gap and fight those villains. Those detestable men who would do anything to make money. 
They were peddling liquor all over the country. Elliot Ness would go in and he'd, he took this truck and put a big plow on the front of it and bust right in through a building, take axes and chop their vats and pour the liquor out on the ground and arrest them, put them in jail, take their money. I mean, he, he was an awesome man to do these things. It was, it was a, a job that most people wouldn't do because they were afraid. Or they were just lying in their pockets and they wouldn't do it. They were taking bribes and letting them buy with it. They were secret sinners. Who went and wanted? To, they kind of wanted to get a drink themselves and make some money, so they give in. So they had to have this special group of men, this select group, these rare men, one in a million kind of lawmen. They would go in, no matter what the risk, no matter what the threat, and do what they were called to do. And they were untouchable. That's what the bride is. We're untouchable. He can't touch my Holy Ghost. He can't touch my revelation. He can't take it from me. No matter what the devil does, no matter, no matter how much power he gained through the ages, he couldn't stop the Holy Ghost. He couldn't stop the revelation of Jesus Christ. He couldn't stop it. He tried through the dark ages. He came really close. It got very, very dark. Well, God said, nope. Nope, I've got a remnant. I've got a remnant. They, they might look like a little ruddy boy, but they're going to take you. They're going to take you down. They're going to prove you're a bluff. They're going to prove you've not got any, any power because they're not going to give it to you. I'm not going to give the devil my crown. Do you want to give the devil your crown? You really do? You want denominational spirits to come in here and take control? Is that what you all want? That's what's going to happen if we don't take stock. If we become willingly ignorant and we stop seeking God and we stop giving him his due in worship and we stop giving him our lives that's what's going to happen. It'll be a message denomination. And we can sit and piously think that we're better than everybody else because we have women with long hair and skirts and, and men that don't wear shorts, at least most of the time. The Baptist had this saying, you know, uh, well, it says long hair, you know, but, you, you know, as long as it's longer than men wear theirs... You know, as long as it just, you know, I can cut it, I can trim it, I can do this and that. They compromise because they're afraid. They compromise. The men can do whatever they want. My dad, who I love and honor, do not get me wrong, but I'm going to tell you the truth. He'd lay at home on Sunday, watch the ball game and drink beer while we went to church. I loved him with all my heart. Later in life, he became a little more devout. Okay, I never saw him drunk. He wasn't a drunkard or anything like that, but he just was not in the will of God and he was not being the right example. That kind of life won't get you there. The compromising has got to stop. We got to go out into the sandlot and meet the bully. Well, if I don't let my daughter see that boy, you know, she's in love with him. If I put my foot down and say no... 
What's going to happen? Is she going to run off? Is she going to do that? You just, you know what? You have to decide if you're the head of your house or if Satan is. It's that simple. You got to decide. And sometimes you got to look your children in the face and tell them something they don't want to hear. And guess what? They may hate you for it for a little while. But one day, when they wipe a little of the stupid off and get a little age on them, they'll thank you for it. You see, when it comes down to it, you're going to stand before God and you're going to either be ashamed or you're going to hear those words that every real Christian longs to hear. Enter in, my good and faithful servant. You stood and faced the bully and didn't back down. You gave your life for me because I gave my life for you. Enter in. I really don't want to compromise to the point where I cannot hear those words. Do you? To me, that's everything. That's, that's the reason that we live. Brother Brandon was talking to strangers. And this is a really, I still don't know why the Lord wanted me to read this. I, I, I think I see it, but he said, now, Monday and Tuesday, I'm, I'm going away to pray. Get ready for a healing service. And you can get on the phones or whatever you wish to do and bring in anybody that you want to for this coming revival. And tell them not to come in a hurry now. Not come say, well, I'm going to run in and be prayed for tonight and tomorrow night. And it's a, You don't do that. You don't do that. You come in and listen a while. Because we want to take our time and lay that word out so close that the devil won't even have one little speck of room to ever move. And then when you let your faith run out to its end till you begin to believe, then let your subconscious go to acting. Then the faith of God will back it up. Then you'll go right on out, see? Because your faith won't do too much. Your subconscious has got to move in the direction your faith is moving, and then God's faith moves in behind it and confirms it all, see? But if your faith, oh yes, I, I got it now, and even your subconscious rolling back here in the back, I wonder, and it's saying, you know, I wonder if it'll work for me back in your subconscious. It won't do it. Right then, see? So we want this to be a real healing service. And before I get any more into the rooms and so forth for, for healing or this new services, I, I want them to really understand what they're coming in here, in there for. So just remember and come and visit us and we'll be glad to have you. Now what, hmm. How can our subconscious line up with our faith if we're feeding nothing but garbage into our minds. How? How's it going to happen? I take them to church, Brother Wes. Isn't that your job? That's what happened in the first church age. I'm not your Holy Ghost. 
Brother Donnie's not your Holy Ghost. None of the ministry is your Holy Ghost. You're not a spectator. That's got, I hope if nothing else rings true, brother, I hope if nothing else rings true, that rings true tonight. We're not spectators. This is not something we come and watch on Wednesday and go home and just go back to exactly the way we were. There's no more days of going back to exactly the way you were. It'll creep in. It will creep in. It already is. Your subconscious is all the things that come in through your eyes, through your ears, all the things that you give yourself over to. Whatever you fill your mind with, that's your sub, it goes into your subconscious. All that doubt that the devil has, all the things of the world that the devil has, it goes in there. And it feeds that subconscious. And then when you come to the service and you get in the spirit, you feel the presence of God. Your faith ignites. You come and you get prayed for. And before you even get to your car, there's that little voice in the back of your head going, I wonder if it'll even work. I wonder if it'll work. I wonder if I'll be one of the ones that's healed over you're done it's got to line up what if you've been feeding on tapes what if you've been praying what if you've been calling people up and encouraging them what if you've been living a life of faith what if you've been instructing your children in the wisdom of God what if you've been meditating on these things through the week and then you come up and get prayed for and you receive your healing by faith and you walk out the door it's like a train being pushed down the tracks. The momentum's up. The devil gets in the way. The cow catcher's going to throw him right off. You're going to say, get behind me, Satan. You're not filling me with lies. You'll sing all the way home, and your healing will go with you. It won't leave you. Young people, you know how precious you are to me. You're even more precious to God. He really loves you. He wants us all to be awake, spiritually awake, not sleepy like the rest of Laodicea. You got to make your choice. You know, a service like tonight might be kind of quiet, but it's hard hitting. You got to make your choice. You got to determine in your heart what you want. And you've got to feed your mind and your soul with the word of God. I mean, aren't you sick of it? I mean, I, you, all don't, you all don't know some of the things that go on that I know about when it comes to the young people. You don't know some of the things that go on. You don't know, there's been young men in this church who have done abominable things. Told, called these girls up and asked abominable things of them. And they tell me about it. And when I get two witnesses, I go to that boy. That's a fair warning. That's a fair warning. Sister, there's a, a right way that God has taught us. He gave us the gift of a prophet. Don't spit in that prophet's face. You'll be ashamed one day if you do. A boy approaches you, say, you need to talk to my dad. Why are you calling me? It don't matter if I like you or not. It don't matter. That don't matter. You got to talk to my daddy. My head, whoever that might be. 
You got to talk to them first. And you got to be faithful to your husband because you don't know who he is until you stand in front of the preacher. You don't know who that is. You got to be faithful to that man. You don't know till you take the vow. These are the kind of things that we have to commit ourselves to. Young men, you should be living holy. You should be ashamed of yourselves. You should be ashamed of yourselves if you're talking to these girls, saying filthy things to them. You should be ashamed of yourselves. God will hold you accountable. You're going to give an account for every careless word you speak. Now, that's the truth. And I say it in love. Don't make me get my tire checker. You know, I didn't know how this was going to play out. Every time I preach, it seems like it's different. I don't know exactly what the Lord's going to do or how he's going to do it. I don't know how the pull's going to be. I don't know anything. I know that the Lord gave me this tonight. And I know that I love each and every person in this room more than I love myself. All I want you to know is God showed me that we're too sleepy. We need to wake up. We need to see. We need to take note of what is creeping in among us. And we need to stand up against it. We need to draw close together under the Spirit of God with wisdom, with sight. And we need to stand, we need to stand against it. We need to stand against what's wrong. We'll go back to Jude for one second here. I will therefore put you in remembrance, though ye once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the hand of Egypt, out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. And the angels which were kept not, which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto judgment of the great day. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities round about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth as, as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. When you walk out those doors, you can be swayed by the persuasion of Satan. He can get in your mind. He can persuade you to do things that you would never do if you were sitting here in a church pew with some minister looking down at you. He can persuade you to do things that you would never do sitting right here. He can persuade you to be asleep to the word to be forgetful of the word. He can persuade you. It is his art. He is a liar and the father of lies. He will lead you like a pod piper straight to the flames of hell. The whole time the Lord holding out his hands, offering you salvation, offering you forgiveness, offering you a right life, a righteous life that ends in great reward. You say, well, I, Brother Wes, I'm bride. It doesn't matter what I do. I've got, I've got the seed. I'm, I told the young people over there, I said, that shows that you're not. It takes two wings on this bird. Faith without works is dead. It takes two. You don't want to turn grace into lasciviousness. You don't want to say, well, I can sneak around and do whatever I want. I can do this business deal or that business deal or I can slip around behind mama and daddy's back or I can do what you don't want to get there 
You've been persuaded and you've lost your purpose. You will be haunted by these words if you join yourself to this world and ignore the grace of God. You'll be haunted by these words. Let's stand. Brother Jim came and gave a testimony to our boys. I'm picking on him again. I've been picking on y'all night. And gave a testimony to our boys because he and I were talking, and I felt like his testimony would be of real value to him. And one of the things I noticed was the pace. He was very deliberate, very even. He wasn't real charismatic. He just delivered his testimony. And forgive me, brother, for a minute I started worrying. I thought, oh, they're going to they're nod off on him. You know, he's not jumping up and down and hollering and shouting hallelujah and telling them this and that and putting the fire of God into it. And sometimes God changes the pace of things and it gets their attention better than, than anything. And I noticed that when he was giving his testimony. It really got the boys' attention. They really talked. They stayed after for a long time, just talking about the Word, fellowshipping around the Word. They didn't even go off and play games. They, they came and stood around and talked about the Word. And I saw what a benefit that was. We want to do something similar for the girls. We had one planned, but we had to change it because some other events came up. But we're going to do one for the girls soon. But these dire warnings, these hard sayings, they'll save us. If we recognize them as love, as God's love. So I just want you to know, tonight's pace might have been a little different, but there might, the Lord must have been in it because he's held me at a certain pace all night. And I didn't struggle against it after the first couple of minutes. I just went with it because that's what the Lord willed. I hope that you'll ponder these things in your heart, like Mary. And you'll say, Lord, let it be unto me according to thy will. Let this not be the night I change forever. If you haven't already, anybody here who has can tell you what great value it would be. How that everything that the devil tries to bring to you is going to bring you to absolute destruction. But a life of righteousness brings you true happiness and peace. We have all been through a lot of storms the last couple of years. It's been a rough couple of years. It's been pretty bad. There's been, I could, I could start down a list, but I'd probably leave somebody out, but I could start down a list and, and just say one thing after another. Bad things have happened. Saints that have crossed over, those contenders for the faith that have to be, somebody has to stand up and take their place. Somebody has to stand and fill in the gap until the Lord comes. We've got to keep fighting. We don't ever give up. We don't ever turn back. Let's bow our heads. Lord Jesus, I love you so much. It seems like your mercy comes in waves, Lord, that I can't even comprehend the way that, 
the way that you just show us so many things. I'm so grateful, Lord. Even though we seek more revelation every minute of every day, Lord, we're so grateful for what you have shown us. Now that we have seen you, Lord, and we know you, we've got something the world can't say. We've got a king and a God who will look to us one day and say, enter in. He won't, you, you won't turn us away. You've started a work in us. You're going to finish that work. We love you so much. We're so grateful for our pastor. We're so grateful for our church. We're so grateful for our brothers and sisters. For now, right now, Lord, the law has not cracked down on us in a way to where we can't meet. I don't want to take it for granted. Lord, the greatest value in the world is just to have a personal experience with you. I know there are some among us who are still seeking it. Lord, you don't put that desire in somebody's heart if you're not going to answer it. I trust you for that. I know it's not the devil putting it in somebody's heart, saying, I, I want the Holy Ghost. I want, I want to get saved. I want to, I want to know God better. It's not the devil that puts that in their heart. It's you. It's that great mercy and that great love that goes so unrecognized. Lord Jesus, you're welcome to walk among us. Your presence is always welcome here, Lord. We love you beyond measure. We can't even express in human words how grateful we are for what you've done to us, what you've done for us. Lord Jesus, I used to, I used to think, well, the prophet doesn't matter. I, I believe everything he said. I don't, I don't really care. And I was so far off in that ditch that I, I just didn't even really really think about it but what a gift brother Branham was and I, I don't want to go off in the other ditch I certainly wouldn't worship him above you but I'm so grateful we had somebody to tie up these loose ends and it's such a treasure just to hear the words and and to have a preacher come out and then take his quotes and the and the scripture and put it together and give it to us and feed us every service Lord it's such a blessing for us to grow in wisdom Lord your grace and your mercy are so precious to us. I thank you, Lord, for everything. Lord, I, I pray that you'll take the words that were spoken tonight and plant them deep within the hearts of the believers, Lord. Let them spring forth. Let an extra measure of life and joy and peace and assurity, Lord, just spring up in the hearts of the believers. Hard times, sickness, even death, Lord. It can't, it can't take us out. The bluff of the enemy cannot take us out. We're, we're not going to give him our crown. We're not going to do it. We're not going to let him have the word and run off with it. We're going to hold it deep in our hearts. He's not going to take anything from us, Lord. He's not going to touch the oil or the wine. We're so grateful that you gave him boundaries and that he cannot step across them. If I have a revelation that by your stripes I am healed, he cannot take that away from me. I'm so grateful, Lord. I'm so grateful. Lord, we pray for Sister Diana. We pray for all the saints who are going through hard things, who are facing operations, tests, troubles, Lord, in their life, trials in their life. We, we have people on the road traveling, Lord. We ask for mercy for them, that they'll get back safely. Lord, we just ask that your will be done in everything. We love you, and we dedicate this service to you in Jesus' name. Amen.
God bless you, saints. I love you. The altar's open. Brothers, if you want to lead us in a song, if you need prayer, if you need healing, you know what the scripture says in James chapter 5. I promise you, if you come up here for healing, I will pray the prayer of faith when I lay hands on you. Because I don't just think my God will heal you. I know he has already healed you. And I'll agree with you. And he said whatever we agree on touching it in Jesus' name, he would do it. If you can get your subconscious to line up with your faith, then come up here and just get what you want. Just get it. I love you, saints. I hope you believe that. God bless you. Thank you for putting up with me. I appreciate you. Please forgive me I need your grace to make it through Lord, all I have is you I'm at your mercy Lord, I'll serve you Until my dying day I'll help others find a way your mercy please forgive me please forgive me I need your grace to make it through Lord all I have is you I'm at your mercy serve you until my dying day I'll help others find a way at your mercy please forgive me sleep is sleep is gone my heart is full of sorrow I can't believe how much I've let you down I dread the pain that waits for me tomorrow When the sun reveals my broken dreams Scattered on the time to care for one like me but I've read in the Bible that old story how 
how he pled for my forgiveness while he was dying on a tree please forgive me i need your grace to make it through lord all i have is you i'm at your mercy
what you want for me. The course may
Jesus, draw 
Praise the Lord. Did you enjoy that word tonight? Amen. I, sir, I certainly want Brother West to know that struck home here. And I, that, that style, that format, the Lord, the Lord used that for a purpose. I, I can speak for myself tonight. It struck deep and it struck home. I appreciate you, Brother West. I love you, brother. Let's just go tonight. Let's remember the services this weekend. Pray for our brother that's coming this weekend. I'm not sure who's got the service this weekend. Brother Daryl, I think. So let's certainly remember Brother Daryl. Safe travels for those folks coming home. Sister Deanna, of course, remember her. But I'm thankful tonight for what we heard, aren't you? Let's just sing Take Up Your Cross as we go tonight. Well, take up your cross and follow Jesus. Take up your cross and every day. Shame to say that you know him, just count the cost, take up your cross, follow him. Oh, take up your cross and follow Jesus. Take up your cross every single day, and don't be ashamed to say that you know.